Hello, I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And welcome to a summer special about the specials, as we here on the Doctor Who show are looking back at the three 60th anniversary specials. We've done our hot takes. If you haven't listened to them, please go and listen to our instant reactions on those episodes. But now we're giving you a slightly lukewarm take. We've had time to think (laughs) about these. We've had time to talk about them with other fans and indeed with each other. In fact, in person, Rob, we'll mention that in a moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we've also had the chance to get a lot of really great feedback from you, our listeners. And this is the episode where we take all of that together. We've got no set deadlines, no set time limits on this one. So we can take a bit longer be a bit more thoughtful and just talk about the the 60th anniversary specials, three very exciting and important episodes of Doctor Who. Rob, how are you? Dave, uh, I'm very well. I've been surviving the heat up here in Sydney, which you got to experience uh, firsthand this past week. Uh, And uh, yeah, look, I'm okay. Yeah, no, that's good. No, as Rob intimated there, we did catch up in Sydney. I was visiting for a few days just as part of my summer break. And the day that Rob and I were set to catch up and hit 38, 39 degrees. And mm-hmm. um, given that we were already doing about six different episodes of the show this month, we decided not to do any recording and we just had a drink and enjoyed each other's company, which was very nice. Yeah, it was very good. Always a good time, Dave. Yes, although I do think it's worth noting that several of our topics we did sort of stop a few sentences in and say, you know what, let's save this for Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it was funny how a few things came up. Rob, you gave these episodes a score at the end of each hot take mm-hmm. do you feel the need to revise any of your scores how do you feel looking back at these episodes now things have settled a bit it's interesting dave normally when we get to these wrap-up shows i do feel a bit of tweaking is in order however this time around i am sticking with my three scores of seven and a half eight and a half and eight Yeah, I'm the same. I gave the scores a B, an A, and a B+. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably correct. Interesting to note, though, that although I said at the end of The Giggle that the one I most wanted to go back to and watch again was Wild Blue Yonder, the one I have gone back to and watched again was The Giggle because there were just so many points of discussion that I thought needed to be looked at and watched again. And mostly I wanted to check if you were right that Shudy Gatwa was not wearing pants. (laughs) And you absolutely were, and I don't know how I didn't notice that. (laughs) Which we should clarify for the overseas listeners, particularly in the UK, by that you mean trousers, because for pants, they they would think underpants. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes, that would be a very different story. He was certainly wearing pants in that sense. Yes, no, no, very important clarification there. But no, that is right. So there were some things that I did check out there and look back on that we'll be able to discuss in here. Mm-hmm. I did put a poll up on Twitter, which you retweeted from the yes. show's account, just asking our listeners and our audience which episode was their favourite. And it was quite tight. Uh, the Star Beast got 9%, which I don't think means that everybody hated it, but just that it was very few people's absolute favourite. Mm-hmm. Wild Blue Yonder, 43, and The Giggle, 48. And there was a period there where Wild Blue Yonder was leading, but both of those stories seem to have their fans. Yeah, definitely. And when Wild Blue Yonder was leading, I thought, oh, look, I'm in touch with the fans because I thought that was the best of the stories. But uh, yeah, it just got pipped in the end by uh, The Giggle. And that's fair enough. I think The Giggle's got the new Doctor appearing. It, it was the biggest, flashiest of the the three. So uh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, look, Shooty's 
appearance was exciting. Mel's appearance was exciting. Neil Patrick, Neil Patrick Harris. Harris. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so so there's a lot to love in the giggle. So I'm not shocked at all. But yeah, interesting that Wild Blue Yonder, which was a very straightforward story in many ways, did resonate so well with fans. So look, that's pretty, pretty strong for those three episodes. So look, Rob, we have a lot of feedback to get through. We did say during our hot takes that to keep those nice and compact and concise, we were saving our feedback from our listeners for this special. That's what we've done. So we're going to rip through this in blocks uh, and tic-tac between us, and then we'll stop and have a bit of a conversation, unless there are things we want to just pull out and react to instantly as well. Yeah, we won't be able to riff on everyone's message, I'm afraid. That will just make a, a four-hour show if we do that. <laughs> but we, we will riff on a few of these, I think. No, and a number of these messages have pulled out similar points, which we will sort of block together and have a chat about. And I think in most cases, we'd sort of put down on our notes of things that either we wanted to dive a bit deeper into, you know, more so than we had time for in the hot takes, or things that we just blew past us and we you know, not not forgot about but just you know in the space of a half hour hot take you can't mention every character or every mm. moment and uh there's a few that we have put aside for this as well yeah. so rob if we're good we're good dave let's kick us off do you want to read our first piece of feedback and these are i believe roughly in chronological order of receipts roughly yes roughly <laughs> okay so here we are with shane rofe via email he says g'day fellas First time in a long time, I've agreed with both of you. Re your Star Beast hot take. You both nailed it, in my humble opinion. Not great, but serviceable and fun. An old-fashioned rollick that didn't have you clock-watching and you didn't have to think about it too much. I use my long-suffering wife as a barometer, and after many a year of me trying to explain all the continuity and concepts of the Moffat era and the ups and downs of the Chibber's reign of terror, I kid, she loved this <laughs> as an easy-to-follow, fun family adventure. And that's what Doctor Who is. I agree Doctor Who has always been woke, but the modern trend of shoving messages down throats, it seems, is unavoidable. I'm looking at you, Orphan 55. Is that because of the audience, though, or the writers? I'm saying the former because I agree with a point you've raised in the past. They don't do pure historicals anymore because the audience doesn't have that appreciation of history that school children of the past had. So if you want to make a point now, you've got to ram it down people's throats until they choke on it. Thank you very much, Shane. And there's some stuff in there we'll talk about a bit later because it's a theme that comes up. But really interesting to hear that feedback about the long-suffering wife. Mm. Uh, look, the, the, the Star Beast did rate very well. I think it was over 7 million. And so, from RTD's point of view, mission accomplished. Was it the biggest, deepest, most thoughtful piece of Doctor Who? Of course it wasn't. But was it casual audience friendly? I think the answer's probably yes. Mm. Yeah, I'll clarify that was about 5 million overnight and about 7 consolidated. There you go, right. Yeah. Uh, so our next is from Glenn Hewitt via Facebook, who says, Listen to your episode before, and I think you guys gave a fair and balanced critique of the special. The special felt like an extended episode rather than an elaborate 60th anniversary gift. Having said that, I really enjoyed myself for the most part. After watching Starbeast, I finally got around to reading the original strip, all things considered, they actually stuck fairly close to the source material. Thanks again for a great review. 
Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of a number of times the discussion of, you know, was this a 60th anniversary special will come up in these uh, messages. I think we'll have to riff on that at some point in this uh, podcast, Dave. I've made a note to do exactly that. Mm. Our next message came from Martin Oates, who is at MJP0007 on X. He says, thanks, gents. Got that hottest of hot takes. For me, it's a 9 out of 10 or an A. Largely driven by the fact that David Tennant and Catherine Tate are my favourite New Who pairing. I think the episode is what was needed before specials 2 and 3, a gateway story. Agree, on the messaging towards the end, it got a little too tell and not enough show, but not so much that it detracted from the story being told. Apparently, we will see Wilf, which I'm ready, not ready for. I was pleased with what I saw. Brief nods to 11, 12 and 13. Agree, read the Sonic. Enough now. Yeah, the Sonic was an important point. I'd, I'd certainly stand by everything I said there. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, from Phil Vernon at Phil A. Vernon. My wife, who is the definition of a casual viewer, rolled her eyes at all the pronoun stuff, picked her phone up and started browsing Facebook instead. I will probably watch it again, but I can't shake the feeling that the fast pace and frantic music was covering the fact that it was clunky, parts weren't very well written, and the plot was paper thin. Brackets, typical RTD season. Opener. <laughs> it only really engaged me when David Tennant and Catherine Tate were together. Yeah, very fair comment, particularly on the pronoun stuff. Uh, I've seen a lot of comment on that, not just from, you know, YouTube crazies who <laughs> just make videos ranting about everything, but quite normal, everyday people. They were just seeing this and thinking, why is this in Doctor Who? And rolling their eyes a bit. Yes, we'll come back to that, I know. Mm. Uh, Doris Day, oh, hello Doris. Doris hello. Day via YouTube. Interesting. I'm probably not going to watch any of the forthcoming stories. I didn't like the RTD stuff the first time around, so I don't suppose I'll feel any different now. Anyway, I'm not here to rain on any fans' parade, but to experience who in a new way, not actually watching it, but hearing about it through the eyes and words of people I respect. Maybe you'll tempt me to give it a go at some point. I'll never say never. I did see a photo of the console room, and it's definitely a three thumbs up emojis. Best modern <laughs> one yet, I suspect. I agree with that. Anyway, enjoy the next two. I'll keep listening to your thoughts if that's okay. Of course it's okay. Thank yeah, you. Very okay. And what an interesting way to experience the specials by listening to hot takes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now we have Michael Webster via YouTube. He says... It was good enough for what it was, the first of a three-parter, reintroducing and resolving the Dr. Donna. Beep was a nice touch, but in terms of the story, it was Alien of the Week stuff. Thanks, Robin Dave. Yeah, can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Power via YouTube. Hi, Robin Dave. I just wanted to share my complete agreement with your insights on the recent Doctor Who episode, Starbeast. Like you, I find it increasingly frustrating when social commentary takes precedence over a well-crafted script and compelling storyline. Watching with my eight-year-old son, who's just beginning his journey into the Hooniverse, I hoped for a story that would captivate us both and introduce him to the Doctor, a character I've admired since I was his age. While the episode did deliver a reasonably solid story, albeit slightly light, which is understandable for a series opener aimed at new viewers, the insertion of social commentary felt forced and distracting. It disrupted the narrative flow, making the experience less immersive. 
Doctor Who has always been about extraordinary storytelling. While addressing contemporary issues is important, it should not overshadow the essence of the show. The recent focus on transgender issues, for example, felt more like an awkward obligation than a seamless part of the story. I just wanted to express my gratitude for your outstanding work on the podcast. Your honest, well-thought-out perspectives are something I look forward to in every episode. Keep up the great work. Mm, some good feedback there. There is some good feedback there. And look, we'll, we'll pause the feedback there to have a bit of a discussion on something that's come out in a lot of the commentary, both in that feedback and indeed on other podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is the, you know, what some might call the RTD agenda, what some might call uh, you know, wokeness. That's not what we would use, but it has been used. Mm-hmm. Um, some would just sort of call, you know, typical traditional messaging in Doctor Who, whatever you want to call it. It, it, it was a thing and it was a discussion point. Um, I think it's very interesting to start off with and just say that all that feedback we've had and indeed all the podcast feedback that I've listened to and stuff I've seen, nobody that I saw was saying that uh, a pro-trans position or message does not belong in the show or they were against that or anything like that. I, I haven't seen that anywhere. I'm sure it exists in some deep, dark corners of the internet, but that's not something that's come across to me at all. Mm-hmm. What, what what has come across, I think, is whether the manner in which it was done was such that it detracted a bit from the episode and from the message. And certainly in our hot tag, we, we talked about a scale. And, and others have echoed this to some degree in some other reviews where we said that having Rose as a transgender character who is a wonderful human being, loved by their family. We get to see a little bit of awkwardness with Sylvia sort of making those adjustments to how, how to, you know, work, work work this all through and do the right thing as a grandma. We saw a little bit of bullying of her by classmates. And so we got that moment of, you know, this is what trans people have to put up with. And we said, so that was really, really well done. And then it sort of got clunkier and clunkier as it went through. Well, if I can just jump in there, Dave, yeah, it, got, it, got, it got clunky in that same scene. We see Rose uh, bullied by the guys on the street, and it's like, isn't that bad to bully someone at all, particularly for that? But then when we go inside, Donna admits to uh, bullying those bullies' parent uh, at school. <laughs> so it was like, hmm, mixed messages here. Yeah, it, it, it was a little bit, and... I, I realised, though, last week, um, before I watched The Giggle, I was just sort of driving around, I was thinking about these episodes and, and all the different podcasts I was listening to, and, and I remembered that RTD has form, because RTD's political messaging the first time he was showrunner was often very clumsy and what I called very undergraduate. I remember watching uh, World War Three, where he put in a clever reference to the ability to launch weapons of mass destruction in 15 minutes. And I mm. thought, oh, well, he thinks that's a really clever commentary on the war with Iraq. Okay, that's a bit undergraduate. Or his yeah. complete historically inaccurate take of what he was, you know, he was clearly making a point about the Belgrano in uh, in the sinking of the Belgrano in um, A Christmas Invasion. And, and that was just a, just a, a woefully inept undergraduate take and and you know there's, there's all these sort of things that sort of go through it and i thought well you know okay nothing has changed and i do feel that whilst rtd has done a lot of great activism and particularly for the gay or the lgbt community mm-hmm. he's done some wonderful activism he he's not somebody who really follows politics and really perhaps understands the nuances and the details of politics and that comes through in his writing before and i think it comes through here 
What does concern me, though, is there's a slightly militant feel to some of him. That, that's reinforced by his comments on social media and on commentaries. There's lots of, well, the Doctor Who fans are going to hate this, or even you know when he, he's leading up to different plot points, there's lots of certain fans are going to dislike this, and we're going we're gonna to upset people this week. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't understand the desire to upset people. I can understand sort of going, look, we know this will be controversial. We hope fans will roll with it and give it a chance. I can understand that, but we're going to up some, some people this week and that's going to be great. Like, I, I don't understand that. And I've always said it's important that Doctor Who can have messaging and, and have, yeah. have policy and ideas floating through. I mean, you go all the way back to the discussion about the virtues of pacifism and the dangers of pacifism in the Daleks in 1964. Like, it's been mm-hmm. there forever. Yeah, um, but, 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 but how you do it is important. And I've always said it's important that it doesn't cross from being messaging to partisan messaging. And that if Doctor Who is going to be a show with mass appeal, it needs to be a show that, you know, whether you vote Labour or Conservative or Liberal Democrat or SNP or whatever. Yeah, Green. Green, yeah. You know, um, Liberal Labour here, Conservative or Liberal or New Democrat in Canada, um, Fianna Fáil, Fianna um, Gaul in, in, in Ireland. Like, you know, whatever your, your country, you know, everybody should be able to watch Doctor Who. And I think that when it wades into culture wars it's not necessarily that people are like i'm against this message it's just that people people might feel i'm bored with culture wars i don't need culture wars in my life and i want to watch escapist television and and i'm very happy to see a trans character and that they're being treated well and that's a really good thing to do but when it starts to be and now we're going to wait into the culture wars and if you're not on side with this then you know you're probably not welcome to watch the show that's Mm. that's not a good thing and and the final point i'll say rob before i perhaps get your reaction is yeah people do in these debates hold up classic who and they say oh doctor who's always had messaging and the green death's a great example of that that people do hold up but again when you watch the green death there's a real nuance to it and and yes the message of the show is absolutely an ecological one the message is very much that if unfettered capitalism and corporatism forgets its humanity and forgets that we're dealing in, dealing in a real world and puts profits over the planet like that, that's a dangerous thing. And that's that's a really important thing to have in the conversation. But but throughout that, you get comments like the Brigadier saying, well, hang on, cheap petrol's a good thing. And the mm. Brigadier's a character that we admire and respect. And he's giving a point of view that people in the audience will go, well, yes, that's right. You know, we, we need to be ecologically sound, but we do need to be able to afford to fill our cars. And the bit right at the start where Professor Jones is wanting to shut everything down and you get the, the good, honest, working-class coal miners saying, well, hang on, that's nice for you. We need a job. Mm-hmm. And it's already all for middle-class activists to come in and say, no, stop doing this, but, you know, what about the people put out of work? And in the end, the story solves it by Joe's uncle just giving everybody a job. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you know, and I don't want to go down to the, you know, the whole politics of the Grand Death, but the fact that often in these stories the alternative position was put, you go back to that conversation in the Daleks about pacifism and different points of view of the merits and concerns of pacifism were put by characters that we respected and mm-hmm. that we knew and that the alternative argument was treated well, even if the show didn't land on the side of that argument, it still gave a voice to it and gave it respect. And my worry is that when we do this stuff in a real active culture wars, we're going to piss people off today. 
you are going to piss people off and mm-hmm. people won't feel welcome. And I emphasize my final point, I emphasize it's not about people necessarily disagreeing and saying, well, I don't believe in trans rights, so I'm not watching the show. It's not that. It's just, I don't need to fight a war over this. Can you please leave me alone? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot I could say about this culture war that is infecting pop culture. You know, it wasn't happening back in the 80s and 90s like this. 80s and 90s was a beautiful time to be in pop culture. I loved it, you know. I, it, was, it was just so cool, you know. Well, I, I rephrase that. It wasn't cool to outsiders, but if you're on the inside of it, you know, it was just fabulous. I'll just say that across these three specials, and particularly with regard to the supplemental material that's been coming out where RTD is sort of explaining himself about certain topics, there's this real, I know what's best for everyone sort of vibe coming from him and and that came across loud and clear when he made himself the self-appointed savior of wheelchair bound folk regarding davros and yet you had loads of wheelchair users on social media like uh you don't talk for me buddy yet he clearly thinks he does (laughs) you have to have a hell of a big ego to think you're saving whole communities of people that you're not even part of that that's just one example I think the next smart creative to emerge anywhere on the planet is the one who's going to take a property, whether it's Doctor Who or some comic book or a movie or a TV series or whatever it might be, and say, right, what made this appealing traditionally? What did people like about it? Why did it become popular? Why did they keep showing up? And then play to those strengths rather than what I perceive as making a shopping list of what they want to insert, come hell or high water, And the property they've been gifted to write for just becomes the background, the backdrop to that shopping list. That's the wrong way to do it. And I fear that might be what's happening in the RTD2 era. Yeah, I I think that's right. And you look at a lot of properties lately that have really pushed to have, you know, the first black superhero lead, the first woman superhero lead. And and those movies have generally been very successful. I'm talking about... um, Black Panther and Wonder Woman. They were successful because they were great movies that also were very exciting. If you were, you know, an African-American watching a superhero movie, a proper, you know, $100 million superhero movie with a black lead for the first time and going, that's me on screen and that's a big deal for me. But everyone else is going, and it's a great movie. And the same with Wonder Woman. It was that's a great movie. That's the vital movie. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because when you look at the second Wonder Woman movie, it tripped over its own feet. Yet it had the same lead <laughs> and all of that. Because it wasn't a good story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can remember sort of going to see Love, Simon with a whole bunch of uh, gay friends and being you know, very excited. This was the first proper sort of, you know, mainstream movie with a gay lead, you know, telling this sort of story and being very excited. And, and it was a good movie. Then they said, oh, look, that was very easy, white middle class. Let's do a TV series about somebody who's Hispanic and more working class and coming out and... It wasn't just a case of, well, we need to tick a few more diversity boxes. It was like, actually, there's a really even more interesting story to tell because that's a much difficult, a much more difficult experience. And mm-hmm. we can create characters around that. We can create a different dynamic in the family and there's going to be different drama and different tensions. And, and so Love, Victor, which was the TV spinoff, 
is a just amazing piece of television, not because it ticked the diversity boxes, although it did in a really, really successful way, but because after they worked out what story they wanted to tell, they had a great story to tell. And that's the problem. I don't think most people have a problem with, in inverted commas, ticking diversity boxes or having a more diverse cast, more diverse casting, more diverse leads, whatever. But if there's not a good story, people won't tune in. Exactly right. They don't care about what's in the press release. They care about, funnily enough, what's in the story. And the Marvels was a classic example of that. Nobody was judging that off the press release. They were judging it off the trailer, and the trailer was boring, Mm -hmm. and people didn't turn up to see it. It's not more complicated than that. Yeah. Shall we kick on with Wild Blue Yonder? Yeah. Do you want to take lead this time? I will. So I'll start with Shane Rofe, who came in via email. Hello at the Doctor Who show. Wild Blue Yonder was an example of Doctor Who I've always loved. Good, spooky, easy to follow sci-fi with big explosions. And my wife, a pseudo-Who fan through association at best, is loving it too. She is the core demographic, the audience which simply wants to be entertained. Two weeks in a row, she's enjoyed the show and is looking forward to episode three. We fans need to remember this show isn't just for us. So far, the 60th is delivering in spades. Take care, Shane. I think Shane just really emphasised what we were just saying. I think so too. I'll move along with uh, Alicia Neptune. She's at Alicia Neptune on X, uh, has co-hosted the show before. Hello, Alicia. She says, are these specials what I might have expected for the 60th? Nope. But that's what Tales of the TARDIS and the Big Finish Once and Future series have been. I think the TV apps are fabulous and use bits of the past to launch us into the show's future. Excellent. Thank you, Alicia. Glenn Hewitt via Facebook. I really enjoyed this one. Going into it, I was almost getting an Ark in Space vibe. I I was too. I think that's a very good comment. Hmm. I love it when Who goes down the nightmare horror route. And this one really reminded me of Midnight, which is one of my favourite stories from New Who. Well, kind of new. Mine too, (laughs) and yes, I agree entirely, Glenn. Definitely. Mark, who is at Ruggerlad, says, Re the 60th anniversary. To me, these three shows are a lead-in for the new series. To be honest, I had no expectation of a 50th-style adventure. We'll come back to that. Yes, we're starting to get these comments flowing in there. Yes. Martin notes at MJPO007. Thanks, gents, for the second of the hot take specials. A step up on the very enjoyable Star Beast. Pleased that RTD has not retconned the Flux Timeless Children. Interesting to see how this plays into 15. I'm quietly content with the specials, regardless of it being the 60th anniversary. Mm, I'll jump in here and say it's interesting that Martin picked up on the Timeless Child mention. Because in the next episode along, in uh, The Giggle, RTD had the toy maker asking the Doctor, you know, have you enjoyed the jigsaw I've made of your life? And given the mentions of the Master too, it does throw in this idea that perhaps the Timeless Children thing was a toy maker creation. So on one hand, it is real, and Chibnall's concept isn't retconned, which RTD said he wouldn't do, because it's, it's something the toy maker created. But on the other hand, it can be read that the Doctor really was a Gallifreyan first, and now that's been interfered with retroactively. So a fearless attitude in a showrunner can actually be a force for good. <laughs> you know, Not just when they're saying, I know it's best for everybody, but when they'll actually take a stand and do something like this. And we get scenarios where the backstory of Doctor Who is now whatever the audience wants it to be. It's not just one 
or the other. It's actually more mysterious and mythological, I think. Yeah, I mean, the show's now been going for for literally 60 years. And so its history and its continuity and its expanded universe is so complicated and so rewritten. And, you know, try, try doing a timeline of the history of the Daleks or the Cybermen. It's just, it's an impossible task. Mm. So I think that the way Artie dealt with it was really quite clever. And he was never going to retcon and, and delete an entire showrunner's contribution. No. I mean, that, that was just an absurd idea. But look, I compare it to the TV movie and the comment about the Doctor being half-human, which, look, if you want to dive into that and, and headcanon it and do a whole lot of backstory, absolutely it's there, frilly boots. I think a lot of us have just very quietly pretended it never happened mm. and, uh, and moved on with our lives. So that's, that's an option too. Absolutely. Moving along, Jeremy Power via YouTube. He says, Hey, Rob and Dave, just caught your latest take on Wild Blue Yonder. As always, you guys managed to dissect the episode with that signature insight of yours. Much appreciated. I couldn't help but nod along to your thoughts, especially about the episode's horror elements harking back to the Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes era. It's like a modern twist on that classic Doctor Who unease, with a dash of RTD's unique style. The tension and psychological play really reminded me of those older stories, yet felt distinctly contemporary. However, I share your sentiment that it's a bit of a shame how the last two episodes, while very good, don't seem to have overtly celebrated the 60th anniversary. They feel like fairly standard Doctor Who fare, which is great, but maybe missed an opportunity for something more celebratory. Also, I can't help but feel that Doctor Who in recent years hasn't been catering as well to us long-standing fans. It sometimes feels more like antagonising the loyal fan base than keeping us enthralled. I mean, would it kill them to bring Romana back from eSpace? <laughs> and he's put a laughing emoji in there. Bernard Cribben's return as Wolf was a touching nod to the past, though, and a highlight for me in the midst of the modern twists. Keep up the great work, guys. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on the next special. Fingers crossed for more classic callbacks and maybe a surprise Romana cameo. One can dream, right? Cheers from Jeremy. Well, maybe, Jeremy, the hand with the nail polish that picked up the tooth was in fact Romana. <laughs> I'm still hanging for it to be uh, the return of Cesare of Diplos, but it could be Romana, it could be Susan, it could be the Rani, it could be all the usual suspects. Yeah, I'll, I'll just throw in there, look, uh, Jeremy's picked up on what you were talking about earlier, that there is a sense at times of trying to antagonise the fan base. You know, like, oh, this will annoy some people. And like the, the glee with which that gets said, I don't understand that in fandom. And again, was this a 60th anniversary? Did it feel celebratory? Yeah, so very, very quickly on the first point, I, I absolutely agree. And, and you know, it, it is unusual for a, a somebody, an individual, to stick with a show for season after season after season. Many fans of shows are transitory. Uh, and the fact that Doctor Who fans, uh, many people of our vintage particularly, have stuck with this show for decades is, is quite extraordinary. And to have anybody think that it's a, a good thing to mock committed fans to me is just bizarre. And as, mm. I, as I said a couple of episodes ago, the fact we love the show and therefore feel a little bit jealous of it and want to protect it and, and feel emotional about it is not a bad thing. And even if sometimes we react with a little bit of pushback over a new idea, we usually get there in the end. So work yeah. work with is not against us. Um, the 60th anniversary. Look, it's interesting. I never felt as though I missed a 60th anniversary going on. I think there was enough 
callback, enough big budget, enough excitement to merit this being the 60th anniversary. I think we just got The Power of the Doctor a year ago, which, look, would, would I have rather that that type of celebration happened for Doctor Who's 60th than a television station's 100th? Um, which I still don't quite understand the need to celebrate, but maybe it's because I'm not British. We won't go back to that again. Um, you know, would I prefer that the Power of the Doctor style anniversary had happened this year, not last year? Yeah, I would. But but having had it done, having seen Colin and McGann and Davo and, and McCoy and and all the rest of it last year, I think it would have been cheap to see them back this year. So I think mm-hmm. what we got was fine. But but as one of our listeners, I think it was Alicia mentioned a bit earlier it is part of that experience and getting a bit more merchandise having people talk about doctor who having all that stuff come in and not every fan's going to buy or absorb everything that comes out in this month or in this year but many of us will enjoy and immerse ourselves in some of it and so i think it's a good holistic experience so um as I say, would I prefer the Power of the Doctor style thing this year than last year? Sure. Uh, but having got this, I thought what we got this year was fine. I never felt cheated. Yeah. Oh, look, for me, it's interesting because, you know, you say, well, what was what was the 60th anniversary? What was the celebration? And some people say, well, well, obviously it was that RTD was back and David Tennant was back and Catherine Tate was back. And I'm like, to me, that's that's not really a celebration. That That's quite egotistical. Like, ah, the celebration is where in it. <laughs> No, that's not the celebration. Some people say, and I mentioned this on a hot take, oh, you know, you must be expecting it to be multi-doctor. No, no, I'm not. What I would have liked was an epic story. You celebrate an anniversary of something epic, and I would have had the three specials linked, whether that was the toy maker across all three, it was whether it was some other thing. I just would have made it the three parts. So it's like, this is a three-part epic three-hour miniseries. And that's how we're celebrating the 60th. And I would have gone, yep, perfect. But instead, this vibe of here's a story of the week, here's another story of the week, and here's another story of the week. I can see why people were saying, this doesn't feel like a celebration. I get it. I totally get it. I I like what you're saying there, and I do partially agree. But let me put this back at you, Rob. Mm -hmm. If they had done a, hey, everyone, here's a big three-week epic that you you need to really be attuned to, would that have... Uh, being detrimental to the other mission, which, aside from celebrating the 60th anniversary, was to relaunch Doctor Who and get a casual audience back. Yes. Yes, unfortunately. We, we don't live in a perfect world where the, the previous series ended in a way that we could just flow into this naturally and not be having to sort of reboot things. But, you know, <laughs> so be it. I understand your point. Yeah, and I think given those two tasks they probably balanced them as well as they could and and leaning further into the, hey, kids, it's the 60th anniversary. Look at all these old things. This big epic we're doing would have lost casual viewers. And so that balance was never going to quite be perfect. I think they did it as well as they could. Yeah. Shall we move on? We have a comment from Chad Wilson at Janelad73. Just listened as great as ever. Always a treat to listen to you both and your warm, knowledgeable and entertaining chat I would have given it a B plus. Very good. Alex Macon at Alex Macon says, was an enjoyable episode, although it was reminiscent of Flatline in parts. Still get the feeling the episodes mainly exist to justify playing with a bigger effects budget. Yes, I've had the same thought as well, Alex. I think there is a temptation at the moment to say, we've got all this money, let's spend it. Yeah, exactly. 
Doug Sims via YouTube. Wow, I'm not sure if I'm disappointed that it's not what I expected or amazed at how good it was. Very good character beats, really scary and weird. Excellent performances from Tennant and Tate, good and evil versions. I need a couple more viewings to decide how I really feel. Ironically, I don't feel it's as rewatchable as Starbeast, but I can't deny it's a quality episode. Not sure this is a fair criticism, but this didn't feel celebratory. I know this was a deliberate decision by RTD. Not quite up there with Midnight or Heaven Sent, but a valid attempt at something stripped back and different. Expected the Isaac Newton stuff to be relevant or resolved. Maybe it will be connected to the giggle in some way. Was it just an excuse for a gag? Or will gravity be mavity from now on in Doctor Who? Great to see Wilf. Can't wait for the giggle. Mm. Rob, that's the first time the Isaac Newton stuff has been picked up. It formed, uh, I thought, significantly disproportionately large parts of hot takes across fandom, as included, but does seem to have kind of disappeared without trace, and maybe it was just a passing gag. Yeah, yeah, particularly with the the Mavity side of it, yes, Uh, in terms of Isaac Newton himself. I think the line I used on our hot take was, you know, it it is just a comedy skit at the start, but but it is there on screen that Isaac Newton has been race-swapped, so we are commenting on it, and we just commented on it and moved on. A lot of reviews though whether written or video or podcast did debate it quite a bit from both sides of the coin it, it really annoyed some people I, I heard someone say for example you know so, so much of history is already muddled why are we muddling it even further that was their point of view someone else you know taking that more Stephen Moffatty point of view if you remember Stephen Moffat's quote from oh god years back now where he said look, sometimes when we write stuff now, we're going to write a history that didn't happen, but maybe a history that should have happened, because that's nicer. Uh, I think that was the vibe there. So there are two wildly different sides of this coin when it comes to historical people, you know, and I think there always will be. Yeah, and I've been reflecting upon this as well, and, and I think it's possible for both takes to exist. I think if you're doing something that purports to be a proper historical drama, you you do need to have a certain level of casting accuracy. For example, uh, whilst The Crown is delving more and more into the fictional as it goes on, that that is purporting to be a representation of this this history in this world. And part of that is that Elizabeth II as queen, particularly as a young queen, was surrounded by a bunch of very stale, middle-class, white mostly straight men. Yes. And and I think if you were to go back and diverse cast that, A, it wouldn't have been historically accurate, but it, but it would have removed the, 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 the real hard fact of these people that were advising the Queen in the 50s and 60s and 70s were a very undiverse people. And, and it also means that when you do get somebody who is gay or somebody who is a woman or somebody who is other than white in the story, you go, wow, that's a big deal. That's an important influence coming into history here. On the other hand, if you're just doing something that's very, very fun and very frivolous and you just want to have fun in history, go for your life. Cast whoever you like, and, and then that's really good. Where does Doctor Who fall into that? I think that's a very complicated discussion. Mm. I certainly don't care for a five-minute skit at the start, but if you are trying to go down the educational remit and do, for example, let's teach young viewers about 
the fall of Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar was not, you know, looking European, I might have a problem with that mm-hmm. because you're trying to teach history and, and perhaps not giving an accurate representation. I don't know where I land on that. They're my thoughts. Yeah, and certainly they're not doing it all the time. In the next episode, John Logie Baird is portrayed quite accurately, albeit his assistant comes from the subcontinent, and I'm not sure that was actually historically accurate. So it, it does move around, and it's it's not that every famous person is, is race-swapped. Again, in the very next episode, it didn't happen. Yeah, as I say, I think there's there's merit to both arguments. Were you proud, Rob, that all us Australians knew who John Logie Baird was because <laughs> our TV awards are actually named the Logies? That's right. That's right. I, I was surprised at how many people didn't know who he was. To us, it's it's quite natural, weirdly. Yeah, absolutely. As I, as I say, um, our, our version of the BAFTAs or the Emmys is the Logies and um, yeah. named for John Logie Beard. So Australians do know it. Rob, we need to move on to a few things that we missed or just didn't get time for. Uh, the Vlinks, or what I call Doctor Who's second-rate attempt at ORAC, <laughs> I kind of like that it was just thrown in there without a, let's now do the Vlinks' backstory. Mm-hmm. He was, in some ways, a talking sonic screwdriver. You know, he was, he was a plot contrivance to get us past, well, we actually we need to rewire and calculate and do this. It's just like, Vlinks do that, it's done. Um, yeah. So we can move the plot along. I, I think that's fine. Yeah, it was a bit of an odd one here with no real introduction, but I guess that was the point. They're showing, not telling, and we always say we appreciate that. So, hey, we got what we asked for. My first thought was, gosh, this looks a bit cheap. Did it look cheap to you, Dave? It did look a little bit sort of 80s. Mm. (laughs) And I wonder if that was deliberate. I don't know. I was just thinking to myself, don't we have a big budget now? What's going on here? Seriously, it's very underwhelming. And for my next thought, It was, I think this is all lining up for the unit TV series that everyone says is happening. Just like the Sarah Jane adventures had Mr. Smith, the unit series will have this thing fulfilling a similar sort of role. You can just see all these pieces being put into place, you know, even before they announce this unit series. I'm sure they're going to do a unit series, Dave. Yeah, and that comes back to my point about plot convenience. Sometimes you just need a computer or something uh, you know, an Android or whatever, that you can just say, oh, go and work this out for me. Or go tell me about this so you don't have to spend huge amounts of exposition explaining stuff. Yeah. Something else we didn't notice or comment on, at least, Dave, we did notice it. Uh, Unit's scientific advisor, Shirley Ann Bingham. She's the 56th and current scientific advisor to Unit, which struck me as a stupidly high number of advisors to have. Sure, I get there's some sort of joke in there that it's it must be a very dangerous role, but they, are they suggesting these people only last a year maximum in the role? That's, that's a pretty irresponsible employer. Uh, a slightly lower number might have felt more realistic and been funny at the same time. Well, if you assume that Unit was founded somewhere between 19... 19- 68 and 1973 depending on exactly where you go on unit dating we haven't got time for that Mm -hmm. um that's that's more than one a year which is quite extraordinary um i did think there was some liz shore erasure there when when the doctor said i was the first because liz was clearly hired as the scientific advisor before the doctor show shows up although she's very grumpy in her in her interview she's there playing with test tubes and doing analysis of the meteor and spearhead from space before the doctor turns up i assume she wasn't doing that voluntarily she was being paid so she was number one and you know dr shaw is up there as one of my favorite if not my favorite companion so i've now defended her um i suspect the reason we didn't mention the scientific advisor in our hot takes was that i 
I thought she was very well performed, like perfectly fine, but I didn't really feel particularly excited by her. And maybe that's because Kate Lethbridge-Stewart is such a dull character, she just like drags charisma <laughs> and interest from other characters in Unit. Um, but I, I look, I thought she was fine, but just did her job and, and, and was more functional than anything. Mm. Yeah, she's played by Ruth Maidley, who, of course, has spina bifida, so she can stand up and she can move, as we've seen on the show, but she uses a wheelchair. And I'll comment that the two episodes she's in do shine a huge spotlight on her disability. And I think what might be more daring going forward is just showing that disability as an everyday part of life to to not give her more lines or more gags about it, like the the missiles in the wheelchair or scenes where, oh, look, you're standing up. Don't draw any attention to it now. Yeah, I really liked her line in The Star Beast about don't make me the problem, just get on with it. Great line. That was a really great line. Leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, and and now I think you're right, just sort of let's let's get on with it. Um, And if she was going to be a part of the part of a spinoff, then yeah, like show her being a normal person. Going about their normal life. A very smart person in a, in a big role. You know, that's the important bit, not the fact she's in a wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she's in a wheelchair is very, very obvious to the audience. Yeah. We don't need a big sign written by the, the writer going, writer's message, she's in a wheelchair, guys. We know, we can see it. Just tell us, just show us. Yeah, or, or inferring, you're, you're very smart and you're in a wheelchair. You know, that just blows my mind. Yes. That's as, a silly as, as message. Though, as though those things are incongruous. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I think that... It was done well for the most part. I hope they continue to do it well. Yeah, good. Um, quick note to say that there were lots of pre-publicity shots of Mel on the back of a moped with Shudi Gatwa. We haven't seen that, so is Mel coming back? Well, I think she must be. My sense is there must be more unit stories coming up, and so Mel will now do more stuff with the Doctor, who is now Shooty, which you know, is good, as you commented on our hot take, Dave, that she didn't really get a big moment in the giggle. Maybe she's got a big moment coming up, you know, herring around on this moped with Shooty. Or Shooty Gatwood just owes a moped and he and Bonnie <laughs> Langford went for lunch and someone got a photo. I hadn't thought of it that way. You could be you could be quite right. I mean, Shooty seems like a moped kind of guy. I think he is, yeah. <laughs> Dave, uh, Mavity, it's not come back yet. I think this is an interesting one. Every review I've heard or read since Wild Blue Yonder came out has just gone, oh, for sure, Mavity's coming back next week. It's a thing. It's definitely a thing. And it didn't. So is it one of these things that's in there just as a gag and now we're just meant to forget about it? Or in an episode or two of the next series will someone say Mavity and we realise that time was actually corrupted, if I can put it that way, by them putting this word into Isaac Newton's head and then it became mavity for the whole human race. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, Rob, you were, you were telling me on social media at one point, no, 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 no. Look at how gratuitous this one was. Like it's, <laughs> it's got, it's got to be more than a joke. And um, yeah, I, I was sort of thinking, oh, maybe Rob's got a point, but it didn't. It, now, now, so the, the, the question is, was this just a gag for the one episode, which is fine? Or is this something that's going to be picked up along the way and if we're asking that question let's also roll in other things that are very clearly 
going to be picked up along the way. Uh, I made a joke about how obvious it was that the boss that the Meep referred to was going to be the toy maker, and I was wrong there. Mm. Presumably, this is also the one who waits that the toy maker did his whole life. Played games with everybody, but not that guy. Yeah. Um, I, I asked the question, I think, knowing the answer, are we laying the foundations for a big bad in the next season? Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, but again with Mavity, you know, if it was just a gag, keep it to the cold open. The fact it continued through the story and you had Donna using Mavity in an unironic way in dialogue in the actual story, not when we're being silly, just made me think it was going to be a thing and it could still be a thing. We'll see. We will see. But yeah, look, a lot to come up. Mm. Shall I keep us going with some feedback on the giggle? Why not? Doug Sims via YouTube. Okay. The defeat of the toy maker was too easy. The doctor in his underpants? Clearly the leaks were true. But I bloody loved it. It's going to be divisive. Some will say 15 is not the real doctor, but a copy. There are minor cringe moments. All in all, a nice finale to Doctor Who 2005-2023. Clearly the unit spin-off will happen and Donna and Tennant will be back at some point. I look forward to Christmas more than ever. Yeah, definitely someone else plugging for the unit show there. Moving on, Homer at Homer's Twin on X says, Unfortunately, one of my kids heard the leak and told me. I assumed it was nonsense, but he was happy enough with it. And I assume this is the bi-generation. The way the first Doctor was alluded back to in the flashback and the other references Shooty made to the show's history was satisfying. Neil Patrick Harris was excellent. Agree with all of that. Mm. I did like that line about Sarah Jane, the way he delivered that, like, can you believe she's gone, you know? Yes, oh, yes. killer line. That was lovely. That was absolutely lovely. Mm. Steve Clamp at Steve Clamp ITV. ITV Steve Clamp. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Had to wait 24 hours to watch in unison with my kids, but I loved it. So much going on, but in a comprehensible, fun style. I definitely need to watch it again as I couldn't take it all in. So good to see Doctor Who back on such great form. Last week and this week, brilliant. Wonderful. Great feedback. Jeremy Power via YouTube says, Hi, Robin Dave. I've just finished your latest podcast on The Giggle and the Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials. Your conversation sparked some intriguing thoughts about these episodes' narratives and thematic explorations. Neil Patrick Harris's portrayal in The Giggle particularly caught my attention. His character, with its blend of sinister undertones and campy humour, was a standout. However, I couldn't help but notice, as you did, a certain shallowness in his character development. This might subtly reflect on the episode's critique of our modern world's fascination with surface-level allure, mirroring how we often overlook deeper, intricate undercurrents in a technology-saturated era. The bi-generation of David Tennant's Doctor into Shooty Gatwa's Doctor struck me as a profound metaphor for the show's enduring legacy and its ability to reinvent itself while maintaining its essence. This transition could be seen as a symbol of the show's evolution, embracing its past while forging a new path forward. It beautifully captures the spirit of nostalgia while also igniting excitement for what the future holds. 
Considering the anniversary specials as a whole, I found myself musing over what could have been. The potential of having a unifying antagonist like the Toymaker across all three episodes is an intriguing thought. Such an approach could have provided a more unified narrative thread, potentially transforming the specials from individual adventures into a cohesive epic saga befitting a milestone celebration. I'll just say snap there on what I was saying earlier. Yep. Bonnie Langford's return as Mel brought a delightful sense of continuity, yet there was an underlying sense that her character's potential wasn't fully tapped. There's something you brought up, Dave. This seems to reflect of a broader theme in these specials. While they pay homage to the show's rich past, they also grapple with realising the full depth and complexity of the characters. The modern interpretation of Unit in these specials poses an interesting dilemma. How to adapt classic elements of Doctor Who for contemporary storytelling? A deeper dive into Unit's transformation over the years might have provided a richer narrative layer, offering a bridge between its historic roots and its modern incarnation. Your insightful discussions always reflect the nuanced nature of these episodes. They delivered on the front of good Doctor Who entertainment, but seemed to dance around the deeper impact and resonance that one might expect from such a significant anniversary. I'm looking forward to your future episodes, particularly your thoughts on Shudi Gatwa's Doctor. His introduction opens a new chapter in the Doctor Who narrative, and I'm curious to see how the show will continue to evolve and honour its long-standing tradition. All the best from Jeremy. There's a lot there from Jeremy we've already spoken about, but I will just highlight again, he referenced the shallowness of the Toymaker's character and and plot in the end. And, and re-watching the giggle, again, I was sort of baffled by the fact that this amazing elemental being was defeated because he didn't catch a ball. Mm. Um, and without any sort of real twist, it was just, he just didn't catch it. And um Look, as somebody who went through school not really being very good at catching balls, maybe I related a bit, but um, it did seem a little bit shallow. <laughs> yes. Glenn Hewitt via Facebook. I'm still trying to unpack this episode. I'll certainly be thinking about it over the next few weeks. If anything, this episode feels more like an anniversary special than the previous two. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. Which felt like lost stories from series four. I'm also looking forward to Shooty as the new Doctor. His brief appearance here have me jazzed for his portrayal. His charisma just bounds off the screen. On a side note, I finally made a start on Flux today. After the Timeless Children's story, I kind of drifted away from Modern Who. And while I had intended to check it out, I wasn't in any hurry to see it. I'm on the first episode now, and it's not too bad. And thanks again for another brilliant hot take. I was really hanging out to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much. Wow, imagine going back to Flux now. I wonder what that's like. Yeah, do let us know when you finished or what you think, Glenn. Mm. Damien Isaacs via Facebook says, So, after being away for the week, I finally got to watch The Giggle and listen to your hot take. And thank you for mentioning my question about Bernard Cribbins from the last hot take. Look forward to your overall review of the three specials. Well, here we are, Damien. And your thoughts on the dangling plot threads they kept mentioning, especially the blatant reference to John Sims' master. Yes. I, I, I mean, that master thing was just so, so overt. Mm. I don't know whether Rusty Davies did that with a, I know what's coming next, or he did it with a, look, at some point, I'm probably going to use the master. This is my opening. Not sure. Yeah. When you say the master is trapped in someone's tooth, you know, you expect the, the genie to come out of the bottle at some point. Yes, I look, look, absolutely, I think that that's going to happen. It, 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 look, look, very clearly, Rusty Davies has put the master on the shelf 
ready to use. I suspect that's not going to be for a couple of years. I think you leave him on the shelf for a while, but but it does now mean that when he's ready to use him, it's, it's ready to go, and he doesn't need to start his, his master episode with a whole, this is how I escaped from Legopolis sort of thing. It's just like, no, 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 we, we know. There was a tooth toy maker, da-da-da, done. Yeah. Simon Pitt at Library Player saw the rumours, although still a bit of a surprise, and executed well. Although it does raise a lot of questions, e.g. what happens next time a big alien invasion, can he regenerate, etc., a fun episode, and I think 15 is an amazing Doctor. Yeah, definitely. And and we'll talk more about bi-generation later, including can he regenerate. But in terms of a big alien invasion, I think if the big alien invasion is happening in the unit series, Tenant might be the Doctor they call on. Uh, let's come back to that. Mm. <laughs> Simon Valentine at Simon Valentine 1 says, I loved it. Holy sh- is it going to make the wah Doctor Who is woke YouTubers go absolutely bonkers? My only small disappointment, being it's the 60th, is that I would have loved to have seen either Matt or Peter make even a brief cameo somewhere. That's fair enough. I get that. Mm. Michael Herbert at MJ Herbert. This toy maker didn't bear any resemblance to the original character. More like the Joker from Batman. Not sure why RTD bothered. Yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah. I think he just updated him for modern times. Yeah, and you know, given Michael Goff is problematic and dead, yes, <laughs> they had to recast him. And yeah, so okay, fair enough. Mm. Dan Hayward at LTFC Dan says, "I'm not entirely sure why the bi generation happened or needed to happen. Then again, if I had just got a normal regeneration, I think it would have been so anticlimactic. My biggest gripe is they just can't let Tennant go and stay gone." We get it. He was a good doctor. <laughs> yes, I, I have similar feelings to that. Like, I get that Tennant is probably at this stage for the new series what Tom Baker was for the classic. Yes. But that doesn't mean we need sort of four versions of him. No. <laughs> uh, Coldacre at underscore Coldacre. By Generation is a terrible idea. Was a cracking good story up until the ending. Alrighty. Mouse the Elephant at How the Mouse says, Agree that Neil Patrick Harris was perfect as the toy maker, but Hunger Games, Ready Player One, even Harry Potter show the potential for using games playing in an inventive way. A big missed opportunity. Otherwise, much to enjoy in these three episodes, and the second stands out for the strength of its storytelling in all departments. Thanks, guys. Uh, Ready Player One's a really good pull, and yes, if they'd done a little bit more down that path, I think they would have got more value out of the toy maker mm, better as a novel though <laughs> and i know your thoughts on novels versus movies yeah we won't go down that rabbit hole we'll talk to jonathan <laughs> at john mtsm 21 i really enjoyed this episode i've managed to avoid spoilers so the next doctor arriving like that was a surprise i think it's good that we now have a fresh doctor free of all the woe a new start for a new generation and disney my only criticism would be that the games were dull. That's come up a few times now. And in fact, my wife was mentioning that same topic again just last night. That it was, what? We're cutting cards? We're throwing balls? What? Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Mm. And she doesn't even know about things like the, the Trilogic game and stuff. So <laughs> she's, she's not even comparing it to the past. She's just saying, in, in this instance, it was just boring. Yeah. Or TARDIS hopscotch or deadly musical chairs. Yeah, exactly. 
BikeBoy1895 at BikeBoy1895 says, I actively avoided spoilers for this series. My favourite inconsequential line was, surely you can't be serious. I was (laughs) flying high at that. (laughs) Well done. I see what you did there. As for the regeneration scene, I liked it a lot. Doctor Who regenerates itself again. Great. Yeah. Now, Dave, I, I hinted at this a moment ago. Let's have a bit of a longer topic to, to hash through. I want to talk about bi-generation, and I know this is a topic we've already joked about on social media. I said, I've got lots to say, and you're like, good, because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it even came up again when we saw each other in person this past week. I think there's some stuff we can thrash out here. And I think the first thing to note is what we saw on screen. The Doctor split in half. Some toy maker magic enabled Shooty to make a clone of the TARDIS. Putting aside all the debate, we've even had it in some of our listener comments here about how fair this is on Shooty, how it's not giving him clear air. There's always a doctor lurking in the background now. I want to talk about what this means in practice. For example, some fans take the episode at face value and believe that Tennant will still become Gatwa at some point. Because in some timey-wimey way, the self-improvement that Tennant hasn't actually done yet is already present in Shooty's persona. You know, they're doing therapy the wrong way around. So people are like, oh, well, that's proof that Tennant, he does the work, then he becomes Shooty, except Shooty already exists now before he does the work. So how is that going to play out after he's done enough self-improvement and if I can put it this way, he's reached the right level of enlightenment. Does, does he just go poof into thin air? Does he fade away like Marty McFly over an episode and he just becomes one with Shooty who's out there in space and time? Or or does he have to be within range of Shooty and, and it's an actual conscious decision to merge back with him at this later date, meaning we'll have another two Doctor story one day and, and at the end Dave will be like, oh, I'm ready to go, and then they, they combine again? Or or does it mean we now do have a separate Doctor in general and he doesn't need to turn back into Shooty? And if we take that path, can the Tenant Doctor regenerate again, as one of our listeners asked, and create a new line of Doctors... Or if the new tenant doctor dies or gets injured, I should say, does he actually die and he can't regenerate? I have more to say, but I'm going to stop there. So I think one of your questions there begs a practical question, which is, has David Tennant said via handshake deal, whatever, to RTD, when you need me to come back and do the hand back to shooty, I'll make sure that I'm available, whether that's for a scene or a special or an episode or whatever. There is something there because if, if you're going to have that sort of an outcome, at some point Tenant has to be back on screen before shooty gives up as the Doctor, whether that's in two years, five years, whatever. So whether there's an agreement there, I don't know. Because um, I, I sort of feel like Tenant's done his three months with the show and mm. might not be back for 10 years. Um, why should he? He's, he's got a very good, flourishing career. So he may say, no, no, I, I came back for the 60th, I came back for the 70th, so if it's not the 80th, don't talk to me. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I, as I said, I watched Giggle again. I did really pick up much more strongly that whole therapy out of order thing. And so I think that it isn't a case of the 14th Doctor has split from the 15th Doctor and now the 14th Doctor goes off and has a whole life with a whole set of regenerations and you now get, you know, 15A and 15B and all the rest of that. I think I think at some point the timelines are meant to link back and, and that the 
things that the 14th Doctor experiences have and will affect the 15th Doctor at some point they'll merge again I think that's the intent but Russell T Davies is not Joe Michael Straczynski I would struggle to believe that RTD has got a well thought out constructed master plan that where he says you know this is going to happen in the first year and this is going to happen in the third year and in the fourth year this is how it's going to be resolved and you know this is this is you were the one that was and all the rest of it mm-hmm. I just I don't see that happening I think that RTD has given himself some toys to play with and probably doesn't yet know how to play with them out of the two options i came up with which one do you like best that he, he starts fading away one day and realizes oh he's he's reached his purpose and he just fades into regeneration energy which just fades off into the the sunset or do you like the idea that he meets up with shooty and it's like oh it's time to you know recombine well my, my view is given that this is now shooty's show Shooty is the Doctor in capital letters. That has to define Tennant's further appearances. So Tennant's farewell from the 14th Doctor has to be about Shooty. And if it's just Tennant off on some special or some thing doing his own thing and fading away and Shooty's not even there, well, that's that's where you start to get into undermining the 15th Doctor and Shooty. So, mm. so my, my preference is that whatever happens, it is about Shooty, not about Tennant. Okay. Now, the second part to what I wanted to talk about is stuff that's happened outside of what we've seen on TV, because outside of the episode, RTD has now expressed that by generation is him trying to do happy regeneration. You know, yes, your your favorite doctor is regenerated, but there's still a version of them getting around somewhere. Isn't that happy? Now, I, I certainly have thoughts on that, but he's taken it even further by suggesting, in his head canon at least, that the magic of the toy maker caused every regeneration of the Doctor to retroactively become bi-generational. And for that reason, Sylve now wakes up in a morgue sometime after being McGann. Davo wakes up on Androzani Minor after becoming Colin, and so on. And, and none of them have TARDISes. And I thought, this is bloody silly, both on a general level, but also a practical one. Are we saying Davo wakes up on Androzani Minor in the middle of all those mud bursts, and he's in the nude? <laughs> Given Colin kept all the clothes, you know, and he doesn't have a TARDIS. How is that a happy ending for Davo? So uh, a bit of a brain fart idea that doesn't really work for me at all. I mean, does it mean if the timeless child is real that all the timeless children, even the ones murdered in that chair by Tech Tayoon, where she just murdered child after child after child, now they all have doubles of their former selves? You can see how this gets very messy very fast and all because RTD had this idea that regeneration didn't have to be sad despite the fact it's probably the aspect that fans like because it does add some heft to the end of an era, that it is sad, Dave. Uh, Look, on the idea of the regeneration being happy, look, I think it's something different. I'm glad they did it. I think it kind of worked. I didn't need all the the family stuff, as I said, in the hot take, but whatever. Um, Would I like this to be the new normal? Uh, No, I think that regeneration should be sad. It should be dramatic. Um, But I like that they mixed it up. Do I particularly care what Russell T. Davies has said that's not on screen? No, I'm invoking my, if it's not on screen, Russell T. Davies musings don't count. Um, So it's the same as I said about Davros having legs. Until he has legs in the TV series, that's a nice idea from Russell, but it's just Russell twittering away. Mm -hmm. Um, And and look, my final point is, I I don't get the necessity of having all the Doctors by Generate back in their history, because 
they all still exist. They're all out there traveling the universe. And the two doctors showed that it is possible for two generations of the doctor to bump into each other in, in the universe. So I'm not quite sure what problem it's solving. I, I don't think we're going to really see anything of it. That's my guess. Yeah. Strange times. Well, that's the bi-generation, Rob. I think something that uh, has caused a lot of conversations, but for something that RTD was hinting, all the fans are going to hate this, we're going to divide fandom, most people have either said, I love it, or I'm not a fan, but who cares? Yeah. Because we're now going on to a show with Shooty Gatwa as the Doctor, so the fact that Tennant didn't die and he's still, you know, having lunch in England is irrelevant. He's not going to be there next series, so who cares? Yeah, it has annoyed some people. Let's acknowledge them too. But broadly, I think you're right. It certainly hasn't been as divisive as The Timeless Children was. No, nothing like it. Nothing Nothing like like it, no. Uh, Would you like to continue with some feedback? And I think this is sort of more overall feedback we've got now, Rob? Yeah, we're sort of gone beyond the individual episode comments and we're sort of wrapping up the wrap-up now. People knew we were going to be making this show, so I think these are designed for uh, this very show. Shane Gordon via Facebook says, Well, got my hat trick. Three weeks of hot takes where I've pretty much agreed with all your points, especially young Rob with the flat comment. That was my word of the week uh, for the final weekday. That's right, it was. Despite how much I enjoyed this episode, and all three to be precise, I walked away, figuratively speaking, not 100% convinced I'd celebrated 60 years of Doctor Who. The giggle nearly ticked all the boxes with multiple references to old adventures, an old enemy, old companions, unit as a whole is included there, and even technically speaking, a multi-doctor story. But I still didn't feel that this was anything much different to say a pseudo fourth season of the 10th Doctor, you know, the year where we had those four or five specials. Still, I'm glad to see that William Hartnell has had an appearance in every anniversary special, the three, five Doctors, the 50th, and ever so briefly, the 60th. Finally, I saw another reviewer raise something. I'm totally on board with Re the Bi Generation, and I'd be surprised if it hasn't been widely discussed by the time you read this. RTD has done an astounding job acknowledging the showrunners who'd been in place since he left. Some of the fears I had that he'd ignore or retcon some of the stuff set up by Moffat and Chibbers were laid to rest, and I admire the respect he has shown his fellow producers. He referenced the flux not once, but twice, and he's given us a possible answer for the curator, the 14th Doctor revisiting a few old faces after he retires on Earth, regenerating backwards maybe. Fantastic stuff. Maybe those versions of her previous selves that 13 met when she died were encounters with the retired Doctor. Whether other fans adopt this or not, I don't care. Until it's proven otherwise, it's part of my Doctor Who canon. Well, have a Merry Christmas and a safe, happy 2024 to yourselves, all your listeners, and all Doctor Who fans around the world. Happy 60 years, Doctor Who. I think that's a really important piece of feedback from Shane. Uh, First, because he acknowledges... Hartner was in all those specials and I hadn't realised that yes absolutely that is a perfect mm-hmm. record so thanks for pointing that out but but look as much as I discussed earlier that I was fine with the level of anniversariness about these specials Shane I think is very representative of uh, a part of fandom who, who is a bit disappointed and I, I think it's good that we've acknowledged that and um, yeah that, that is a shame it, it, yes that is a shame yeah, and I'll just throw in there, Shane's talking about a 14th Doctor who can possibly turn into other Doctors uh, and does possibly turn into Tom. Yeah, that's certainly very, very possible. As, as I said, I don't think RTD himself actually knows. 
No, me either. <laughs> uh, Nick Dent via Facebook. I have to say I'm very glad the 60th anniversary specials did not try to be an epic summation of 60 years of telly. After the Chimnall era, which was all epic and little substance, it was good just to have three entertaining, mostly well-written stories. It's been a while. Mm, so there's the flip side of that coin yeah. and, and acknowledging. I think particularly the last Chibnall episode, that special, that was very epic in some ways but had very little substance for sure. Yes, I think that's the case. Now we have Jonathan Harding via email. He says, Hi guys, thanks for all your shows. They always go to the top of my podcast playlist and have filled the long gap between episodes. Your hot takes on the three specials have also been good for me. The instant hits thrown out on Twitter aren't always a good way to gauge overall reception, so your reviews are also welcome. Well thought out, despite having had little time to digest. We're back with RTD and it's good times ahead. Personally for me, these haven't been what I wanted. Sonic Force Fields, what the hell? But this is what led into the years that Doctor Who seemed to be a global phenomenon. It's not my show, but it provides a sound foundation for a few more years. So how can I complain? Really high production values, a superb TARDIS set, Shooty looks to be an amazing lead. I just wish they'd actually killed 14. I thought it was an amazing move to bring in Shooty with 20 minutes to go. He was the star for me from then on. Thanks again. And one last question. The Doctor remembers Clara now? Kind regards, Jonathan in the UK. It's a really good piece of feedback, Jonathan. And it goes back to what I said about the show coming back in 2005 when we were discussing uh, things in our 60th anniversary special all the way back in November. <laughs> it seems yeah. like ages ago now, but it was only about three weeks. And, and that was that a lot of my friends from fandom at the time watched the first season of the new series and said, this isn't exactly the Doctor Who we want, but we acknowledge that for Doctor Who to be a success, it's got to be a lot broader and more mainstream than the show we would like. And it's not always going to be for us, but if the show's to survive, that's a good thing. And I really respect the comment that Jonathan's making there as well. Um, as for the Doctor remembering Clara, look, I barely coped with comprehending the Moffat master plan when I watched it the first time, <laughs> so I've got no idea if that's still the case. Let, let's, let's just go with RTD's New World Order that whatever you think happened, happened. <laughs> that's probably easiest. Yeah. Uh, Tom Turlow sent us an email. Gentlemen, in your most recent episode, I heard you making a call out for reviews for the 60th anniversary specials. So here is my own humble contribution. Just to set the scene, I was not a big fan of the Chibnall era. I didn't think it was terrible, and there was the odd episode here and there that I quite enjoyed. But on the whole, I thought it was pretty mediocre. So I was looking forward to the return of RTD. I'm more of a Moffat man, if I'm being honest, but Russell is a talented and capable writer, and I was hoping for a step up in quality with his return. On the whole, I think he's delivered. All three of the 60th anniversary specials have been entertaining and exciting, very slick and very reminiscent of past RTD. Each week was stronger than the week before, and as a trio of shows, they were very enjoyable. But they were not perfect. Being an old-school fan of Doctor Who, I was probably hoping for something a bit more special about these specials. These episodes felt like a somewhat truncated series from the earlier RTD era. That's exactly the point I made in the hot takes, I agree. Mm -hmm. A slightly vapid but pacey opening episode, a moody mid-season chiller, a big, splashy, throw-everything-at-the-wall series finale. 
Good fun, but a bit like junk food. Tasty, but not very substantial. I've never been David Tennant's biggest fan, but he was a little less annoying this time around. He looked a bit knackered and shagged out right from the start of the first episode, so I suppose he could do with the rest for the foreseeable future. The whole bi-generation thing strikes me as a bit daft. It seems a bit like the whole timeless child plotline, a slightly mad idea that will probably be all better off just ignoring going forward. It raises a whole host of questions about what happens when the Tenet Doctor regenerates in the future. Will there be two shooties? But that's tomorrow's problem, I suppose. And if I can jump in there, we don't even know if he can regenerate. Is is the is the split-off Doctor neutered somehow? Yeah, but the two shooties is another idea that's been thrown out there and equally plausible. <laughs> yeah, there's another idea, yep. Shitty Gatwa made quite the debut as the new Doctor. He seems very charismatic and lively, although he may be a bit too hip and groovy for this older Doctor Who fan. Let's see what happens next. All in all, an enjoyable trio of episodes, but maybe not quite what I was hoping for. All lies on Christmas Day when the new era of Doctor Who gets going. Regards, Tom Turlow. Yeah, and look, all I'll say is, yes, Christmas Day is coming up. But being a Christmas episode and what we've seen from it so far, like with the, the Goblin song and all of that, I'm not sure it's going to be typical of the actual series that comes after it. No, I mean, judging anything by a Christmas special is not wise. So uh, we'll see, although it will be good to see Shooty. And I'll just add that Tom in there did make comments about not being a Tenant fan, but thinking this was one of the best iterations of Tenant's Doctor. Uh, I've heard that in a lot of podcasts. You and I, Rob, both said that as well. Yeah, and as for looking tired and shagged out, I mean, it's almost 20 years since he played the Doctor. He was very fresh-faced back then. If I if I roll back 20 years in my own timeline, good God, my hair is several shades darker. Uh, I have more of it. <laughs> you know, I, I look considerably younger, so it, it just happens to all of us, I think. Yes, very, very much so. Doris Day has returned on YouTube and says, Sorry if this is an obvious question now, and maybe I missed something in your chat. But has there been an explanation as to why this Doctor had Ten's face? Or is it Ten? Wikipedia isn't telling me much. And of course, this is Doris Day, who's not watching the actual episodes, but is going by our hot takes, Dave. I noticed the second time I watched The Giggle in that dialogue where the 14th and 15th Doctor are discussing what's happened and how they're doing regeneration out of order. I think there is a throwaway line from Ten about that's why I came back with this face to or something like that. I, I think there's a mention, um, and I do sort of remember sort of going, oh, that's that's the cover line. But for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. I don't think it was very substantive. And I could could be faking it. <laughs> there was a line from Donna that that's why you came home or something. Yeah. So he sort of reverted to the, the face he used with her and then came back to her and came home and got his family and all of that. Yeah, so I think there is a reference in there. Yeah. Sammy Satine, maybe? Apologies if I've got that wrong, but via email. Hi, Robin Dave. Greetings from Perth, Western Australia. I hope you guys are well and having a good day. Russell is back. My goodness, is he back. You can tell from these three stories and all the ancillary stuff that he is definitely back. I first watched Doctor Who when I was 20. My first episode was Voyage of the Damned. I still have a massive soft spot for that story. Donald was my first series companion, so seeing David Tennant and Catherine Tate back together on screen as the Doctor and Donna makes me smile. In fact, I haven't stopped smiling since the end of The Giggle. 
It has made me so happy seeing them together that my mother commented to me later in the morning that Sunday when I went to visit her, dad and my brother, that I sounded chirpy. Nice. I have seen David Tennant act in a variety of things. It would take too long to list them all, and to be honest, I thought I had seen him do everything when I saw him portray the 14th Doctor. I love this Doctor. He is definitely one of my favourites, and yes... I've watched Classic Who, not all of it, but all of the different Doctors, including Rob's favourite, The Fifth Doctor. Davo. I do have a massive soft spot for The Third Doctor, or as I like to call him, Ruffles. (laughs) Because of the shirts he wore, you know, they have Ruffles. Yes. I thought everyone in the cast was great. Loved Sylvia in the first one. My goodness, she was great. Also, I love the way she took, with good humour, the Doctor calling her the evil stepmother at the end of the giggle. Also... Tuna Madras. I might have to see about that. Never would have thought putting Tuna in a curry. I wish we could have seen more of Sean and Rose. Sean really impresses me with how he just takes all the chaos in his stride. Donna should definitely hang on to him. He seems like a great bloke. Rose is good, but I don't feel like we have explored her enough yet. I wonder how many toys she makes and who buys them other than that one woman in Dubai. Wasn't Neil Patrick Harris just amazing as the toy maker? That was an incredible performance. I loved seeing him dance to the Spice Girls' Spice Up Your Life. I was 11 when I first heard the Spice Girls. Have loved them since. Recognised that song immediately. I love the puppets he had, especially the ones of Amy, Clara and Bill. Although why wasn't there a Rory there? Good point. Good yeah. point. Rory the Rage, I won't stand for it. Maybe he got sold to Saudi Arabia. Or or Dubai, I mean. (laughs) Is it because he's Amy's companion? I loved his shop. It's really quite sinister place. I wonder if all these toys come to life. Or was that just Stooky Bill, Sue and the babies? It was a joy and really emotional seeing Bernard Crimmins again. I love Wilf. He was amazing and I'm sad we will never see him again. Love the dedication. He was like one of your granddad's. I thought the Meep was more like a Furby or a Gremlin, cute and evil. I had listened to the Big Finish adaption of the Star Beast, so I knew the Meep was evil. I don't know if you guys have heard it, but the Big Finish Beep the Meep song is definitely one of the jolliest violent songs I have ever heard. It's on YouTube. I haven't, but now I'm going to check it out. Me too. I know we haven't seen much of Shooter yet, but I'm convinced he will be amazing. Loving him so far and definitely looking forward to the Christmas special. I hope he gives those naughty goblins what for. Love the podcast. Keep up the awesome work. Much love, Sammy Satine. Well, there's someone who the anniversary specials have just hit home. Boom, boom, boom. Knockout after knockout, you know, and and that's great to see. Absolutely. And it's a reminder that not all of us are people who've been watching the show since the 80s or the 70s or, you know, my dad's generation's case from an unearthly child. There are people who have jumped on board at different points and have very different experiences. So it was good to hear that experience from Sammy. People who were preteens when the Spice Girls came out. So as soon as that comes on, it just evokes a memory. Like for me, that memory might be of a completely different band. Yeah. Or, you know, my dad hearing Ticket to Ride in the Chase, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Let's round out the emails with one from Peter Deadman. Hi guys, glad to be getting some Doctor Who again. I just wanted to say it's a relief as well to get competently made stories without the chibnalisms of the previous era. Tennant is my favourite of the new Doctors and this version was a bit more reined in and serious and it made it even better. What these specials have shown me above all else is that Jodie was a good actress 
but the writing in her era was just terrible for the most part. RTD did a better wrap-up of The Flux than had been done in 13's era. For the individual stories, I mostly agree with your ratings. I think it was great seeing Shudi Gatwa in the role. He was immediately charismatic, playful and adventurous, even without trousers. I'm hoping this bodes well for the Christmas special. A couple of minor points from these specials. Number one, Murray Gold was a bit more subdued this time. I love a bit of brass band bravado sometimes, but sometimes the quieter stuff is good too. Yeah, totally agree. I thought Murray really was a standout in some of that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Two, I don't think we need huge epic stories for the anniversary, just a well-told story with good writing. The show has long ago crossed the point where you can go any more epic since half the universe was destroyed by CGI or the flux. This was a multi-doctor story after all, just in an unconventional way. And three, the Avengers paradox can apply here, but if you think about Doctor Who's timelines, the same can be said at any time and place. There's bound to be past, present and future Doctors running around doing things. Every historical figure ever has met at least one of them, it seems, so I don't worry about it much. And I mean, that's something I said in our third hot take, Dave, where I said, you know, Patrick Troughton could just be on the other side of the city doing something at the point that Shooty's running around. And I take the point that you and Peter are making that, yes, they could be there, but I'd still say that putting David Tennant in Donna's backyard with the, the intent of him being retired and staying there means that it's not now a could, it is an is, yeah. and that, that, that will need to be acknowledged, I think. Yeah. Anyway, keep up the good work, guys. Looking forward to whatever that Christmas special is from Peter. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you very much to everybody. Um, we haven't commented every time that one of you has said how much you've enjoyed our show or our hot takes. So now one big thank you. It's just lovely to hear that sort of feedback. The amount of engagement we've had with our listeners has just been really quite humbling and flattering and just so, so, so appreciated. Yeah, and in, in the back end of Podbean, we can see how many people are downloading the episodes and it's it's quite extraordinary. We've hit the iTunes charts, hit top tens repeatedly through the specials. So, wow, you're out there listening, uh, even if you're not writing in. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. So, Rob, we had three specials of Doctor Who and I think we've enjoyed them. Yes, yes, broadly we did. We we picked out things that, you know, we, we maybe didn't like or we would have done differently or whatever, but that's the same for any hot take and any era of Doctor Who, even for shows we really, really love. But broadly, yes, three entertaining shows, two of them better than the other, but, yeah, I can't complain. And Shudy Gatwa's Doctor to come. Yeah, and I like the look of him. I like the cut of his jib, Dave. <laughs> no, absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think that these specials were absolutely worthy of the build-up, worthy of the excitement, and there's a lot for Doctor Who fandom to be looking forward to, and there's a lot for us here at the Doctor Who show to be looking forward to, <laughs> yes. because we're going to be doing another hot take in just a few days' time, Boxing Day for us. Yeah, that's right, Dave, Boxing Day for us, but before then, on the 24th, on Christmas Eve, we're going to pop out a list makers for you as well, dear listener. We're going to talk about companion debut stories. Absolutely. So we've got the list makers coming. We're going to have a hot take coming, and that one's going to have to be done before the Boxing Day test starts. Rob, I know you and I are going to have that as a very firm thing to get it out yes. before we go to watch the cricket. And of course, we never miss a monthly episode. So on the final day of December, we will have our standard Doctor Who show monthly flagship episode mm -hmm. where we have teased we are going to be 
going deep and diving into a chat about a Christmas episode of Doctor Who. Rob, shall we reveal what that is? Yeah, let's do it, Dave. It is Canine and Company. <laughs> Not the Christmas special you're expecting. No, but the one you needed. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so over the next few days, Rob and I will be watching Canine and Company, uh, making some notes, and that will be the topic for our December issue. So three more episodes of us before 2023 ends, and then a lot more coming in 2024. But look, we've gone for plenty of time now. Thank you for all the feedback. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you listen over the next few weeks and into next year. And have a great Christmas if we don't speak to you before then. Absolutely. See you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.